Hi guys, welcome to podcast two. And uh, this evening we're going to be focusing on uh, the Byzantine armies after the Fourth Crusade and the loss of Constantinople to the Crusaders. Um, a very interesting time in history. Um, we're going to specifically focus on two lists that uh, we don't believe you'd think about taking to uh, a tournament, um, but uh, we'll explore why you might want to change your minds. And those lists are Nicaean Byzantine and late Imperial Byzantine. And for the history and the Meg list building and using the lists uh, and the deep dive into that, um, I'm joined by podcast regulars, uh, Nick Gautroger and Richard Jeffrey Cook. Um, in the second section of the podcast, um, I have assembled a group of Meg luminaries who organise tournaments uh, in the UK. And we will talk about uh, tournaments that uh, will happen in July, August, September, October, November uh, of this year. And uh, in the show notes, we'll also give you details of a tournament that's just been announced in December. So tournament details, get a feel for the people who are there by listening to the tournament organisers, what a friendly bunch we are. And then in the podcast notes, um, the ways of entering those tournaments, coming to the events and keeping absolutely up to date uh, with what's going on in our different uh, information distribution channels. So without further ado, let's crack on. Evening, Nick. Even Richard. How are we? Good evening. Very well. Thank you. Yeah, not too bad here as well. Nice to speak to you again. Yep. So our second, our second uh, podcast. And tonight we are going to look at the Byzantine armies after the Fourth Crusade. Um, and, and I've got to tell you, uh, I started reading one of the books that Nick will recommend later. And it is an amazingly exciting part of history that I never looked at myself. I've learned a lot. Um, it's brutal what was going on. And um, it, I, I felt like it was like Game of Thrones with Constantinople as King's Landing, but you know, <laughs> sorry to dumb it down. Um, so now I will obviously hand over to the experts who know something about history. And, and tonight, Nick's going to lead the discussion. So, buddy, over to you. Okay, thank you. Actually, I don't think comparing it to Game of Thrones is dumbing it down at all. I think that's it's quite a good analogy. It's a really complex period of history. You know, so let's get the bad joke out of the way. It's genuinely Byzantine in its politics. Um, so what I'm going to do is try and hit some high points, some, some give you the overview of the period of the history that we're looking at. It's inevitably simplified. And I'm going to be focusing on... Uh, two army lists that we're looking at to tonight. Um, that's the Nicaean Byzantine and the late Imperial Byzantine. So that's the sort of overall theme. Um, and whilst the lead up to the Fourth Crusade is really interesting, I'm going to start this at the point of the fall of Constantinople to the Fourth Crusade to keep it managed. So uh, here we go. Um, Constantinople fell on between the 12th and 13th of April 2004, with the Crusaders of the Fourth Crusade taking the city. 
they undertook a sack for three days. Uh, Constantinople is a big place after all. And it's estimated 900,000 marks of wor worth of loot was taken from the city, um, which included an awful lot of artwork that ended up in Western Europe. Um, and one example of that is the famous four horse statues that were moved to St. Mark's Basilica in Venice. Venice being a, a, a big mover behind the Fourth Crusade and uh, probably ultimately one of the reasons that the Crusade didn't make the Holy Land. Sorry, was that a pun, that they were a big mover, as in they <laughs> moved people, and they, and they did or didn't do it very well? <laughs> well, they did a lot of moving very well after the fall of Constantinople, yeah. They, they, had, they had the fleet to do it. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah. So, so no, it wasn't meant as a pun, but there you go. Okay, so, so following the fall of Constantinople, the, the Crusaders are standing there going, uh, what just happened? Um, and a treaty apportions the Byzantine Empire that they've just taken over between Venice and the leaders of the Crusade. Um, and this establishes the Latin Empire of Constantinople. So uh, going forward, anytime we refer to Latins in this, it means the Crusaders, the Westerners. Um, Venice actually didn't take up most of what they uh, had been apportioned um, and so the Western Crusaders then set up a um, feudal system um, like what they were used to back home throughout Thrace, Macedonia, Thess <coughs> excuse me, Thessaly and the Peloponnese um, which became known in addition to the direct territories of the Latin em Emperor in Thrace and Anatolia as the Kingdom of Thessalonica, the Duchy of Athens and the Principality of Achaea. Um, one of the Crusader leaders, Baldwin of Flanders, was then elected the first Latin Emperor um, with support from the Venetians. Again, there was much politics involved in that. On the other side, we've got the wreck of the Byzantine Empire and three Byzantine states emerged from this wreckage. Um, first up, we've got the Empire of Nicaea in Anatolia under Theodore Lascaris, who was a son-in-law of the Emperor Alexius III Angelos. That's going to be one of the main themes of a little bit. So that's basically Turkey, yeah? Um, yeah. It, well, sort of, yes. The western right. end of what is now um, Turkey across the, across the sea from Constantinople. Um, another part was the Despotate of Epiros under Michael Komnenos Dukas. Um, that's in sort of the western edge of Greece. Um, this was worth noting, despotate is the modern term. It was never actually called that historically. Um, and indeed, not all of its rulers had the title despot. Some of them actually claimed the title of emperor. And if I remember rightly, one was actually crowned emperor. Um, but they never claimed that after the Nicaeans took back Constantinople. The last bit of Byzantium was the Empire of Trebizond, uh, which a small strip of land with some cities across the northern coast of Anatolia that was seized by Alexius Komnenos, um, another dis descendant of a previous emperor, in this case, Andronicus I Komnenos, who had been de dethroned in 1185. Um, a bit generous calling it an empire, because there wasn't very a lot of it, and it spent a lot of its time as client state to more powerful neighbours. Um, other major states who will appear in this story, the Second Bulgarian Empire, um, who defeated the Latin Empire in 1205 and became a major power in the Balkans, and the, Sel <clears throat> the Seljuk Sultanate of Rum, who controlled most of Anatolia that wasn't controlled by the Empire of Nicaea. Um, as I said, we'll be mainly following the Empire of Nicaea. I just want to make a couple of quick points on the army. Um, the army was relied heavily on the mercenaries of the Latinicon and the Scythicon, 
and they were supplemented by native Byzantine troops, um, some cavalry and infantry, the infantry mainly being archers. Uh, they also managed to retain some of the guard troops, the Varangians and the Vidariots. Um, the army changed a bit later and we'll touch on that. Um, it's also worth noting that a lot of the armies during this period were actually quite small, only a few thousand men really. Um, a significant battle was fought where there were only 2,000 in total on the Byzantine side. So we're not talking big, massive. Okay, some key events in the period following the fall of Constantinople and the setting up of the successor Byzantine states. We've got in following the defeat in 1205, um, during which the Latin emperor Baldwin disappeared and was presumed dead, the Nicaeans took the opportunity to take over most of the bits of Anatolia that the Latins had held to that date. And the following year, the Latins attempted to reconquer, but that was aborted. And following that, Theodore Lascaris took the title of Roman Emperor. Um, and in 1208, he appointed a new patriarch um, whose job it was to crown him. So from that point on, there is somebody claiming to be Byzantine Emperor. The Latins had another bash at reconquering this in 1211. Um, and this time they allied with the Seljuks of Rome, um, but that failed because the Seljuks were defeated by the Nicaeans at the Battle of Antioch on the Meander. And in 1214, the Nicaeans and Latins agreed a treaty which pretty much ruled out the Latins attempting to take back any lands in Anatolia again um, and just holding on to the bit they had. So after that, the Nicaeans then turned on their fellow Byzantines at the Empire of Trebizond and conquered all the of the lands held by the Empire of Trebizond west of Sinope, um, which then it was itself captured by the Turks, which then completely cut off the Empire of Trebizond from the Nicaeans and the rest of the Greek world. Um, following that, the Empire of Trebizond was really just a client state of the Seljuks. Um, also following this, the Nicaeans and the Seljuks had relatively good relations, despite the fact they were neighbours and not of the same religion, um, and were relatively peaceful, although inevitably given in fact, the Seljuks got lots of Turkmen tribesmen. There was endemic raiding along the border. And in fact, the, the sort of Byzantine citizens who were on the border did as much raiding back as well. So one of those wild west areas. Um, meanwhile, over in Europe, just to switch back to a different continent, um, the despotate of Epirus was um, also trying to have a bid to reform the old Byzantine emperor. Um, the Bulgarians despite their victory over the Latins, fall into disarray following the death of the ruler in 1207. And the Epirots took the opportunity to seize most of Macedonia. And in 1224, quite importantly, conquered the Latin kingdom of Thessalonica um, and, the city of, <clears throat> and the city as well. Um, so they ended up controlling all of Thessaly. So they've now got a big strip of land in the middle of Greece from coast to coast. So, so Nick, was that one of the uh, kingdoms that was set up after the fall after the capture of, of, of Byzantine, Byzantium by the Latins. Yes, they yes, it was. The three kingdoms because the Venetians didn't want the land. They were just making money. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, that was one of those kingdoms. It, it was. It, it was It was a, a feudal. The, 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 the Latin emperor had feudal rights over them, but it was it was pretty right. independent, as in the way a lot of these these kingdoms and appanages did in, the, in Western Europe. So this sort of knocks out one of those three other kingdoms right. as well. Yeah. I think so it's worth saying the Venetians were very much interested in the island, controlling uh, trade routes, so the naval yeah. routes. So uh, they, they didn't really have the manpower or the interest to try and seize 
the sort of mainland. So they were just making too much money out of everybody to bother, weren't they? Indeed. <laughs> yeah, why, why tie yourself down to a fractious piece of land when you can just milk them for money by providing shit? Okay, yeah, and, and, but a very valid point. Okay, so we get me. So after this, and by about 1230, the, the despotate of Epiros um, was essentially within sight of Constantinople um, and looked well on the way to uh, possibly having a good stab at reforming the empire. Alas for them, the Bulgars had got over the problems they had and went and captured Thessalonica, at which point the despotate of Epiros split into three parts and the Bulgarians took the opportunity to uh, take over most of Macedonia and Thrace as well. So after expanding out to be a decent size, the despotate of Epiros collapses back in on itself. And by this time, the Latin controlled areas had, had effectively been reduced to just Constantinople and its immediate environs with a bit of land in Anatolia, um, southern Greece, the Peloponnese, and a handful of islands, the ones that the Venetians had. So that's what's going on in Greece. We've now bounced back to Anatolia again to see how the Nicaeans are getting on. Um, in 1222, Theodore died and was succeeded by John Vatatsis, uh, who proved a really effective ruler, possibly the best ruler of the Nicaean Empire. In 1224, he defeated the Latins again, who were at this point are more or less abandoned everything they've got in Anatolia. And following that, he was actually invited by the city of Adrianople to come over and take over, although this is actually strictly part of the Latin world. Um, so John obviously did that and ended up taking over most of Thrace as well as a result. So moving from being just a power in Anatolia to a power in Anatolia and back in Europe. So you know, in 1235, John then allied with the Bulgarians, their ruler Ivan Assen II, um, and ended up t extending his influence over Thessalonica and Epirus. Well, that was the aim, sorry. Um, However, this didn't really work out very well, as both the Bulgarians and the Nicaeans really, really wanted Constantinople. John, obviously, is a Byzantine, so he wants it as a capital of his revived Byzantine Empire. And the Bulgarians actually want to create this sort of synthesis of Byzantines and Bulgarians and create a sort of new Byzantine-Bulgarian Empire. So after a couple of years, this, this alliance folded. But we're in a position now where Nicaea is definitely the most powerful Byzantine successor state. Um, and between them, Bulgaria and Nicaea are dominating what, what had been the old Byzantine Empire. Um, 1239, we have a little interlude where a bunch of Cumans who are fleeing before the Mongols invade Thrace. Um, John, John settles most of these in, in Anatolia around the Meander Valley. Um, he doesn't try and defeat them, he actually buys them off and gives them land and settles them as, as new border troops. Presumably, they then go and... Uh, indulge in raiding with the Turkomens, the Seljuks, and re and recruits others into the army. So if he removes the, <clears throat> sorry, so he removes that problem um, just by, by basically hiring them. Um, 1242 is also important because in th this year, the Mongols invade Seljuk territory, defeat them in battle, and effectively ruin the Seljuk state. Um, it, fall, it becomes really dysfunctional and effectual after that, although it does carry on for another 50 odd years. Um, so, in, so this removes any possible threats the Seljuks might have posed to the Nicaeans and actually provides probably quite a useful buffer between them and the Mongols. So and then, then because of this, the Nicaeans can go on and seize the rest of Thrace, Macedonia and Thessalonica from the Bulgarians. Um, and, you know, this is, this is, this is showing you just how much success John has 
Um, he dies in 1254 and is succeeded by his son, Theodore II, um, who unfortunately suffers from epilepsy and doesn't live that much longer and dies in 1258, at which point, in good Byzantine tradition, his best general, Michael Paleologus, usurps power from Theodore's son and becomes Michael VIII. Um, he then goes rapidly on to defeat an alliance of the Despotate of Epiros and the Latin Principality of Achaea, so that's one of the other principalities set up, um, at the Battle of Pelagonia. And at this point, Nicaea really is the dominant power now. It's, it's the only power that is going to reconstitute the Byzantine Empire. And in 1261, they finally recapture Constantinople. But bizarrely, do it almost by accident. There's a small army under one of Michael's generals operating close to the city. It's only a few hundred men strong, and it actually has orders not to get involved with Constantinople. However, the commander, uh, is called Alexios, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce his surname, um, finds out that the Latin army and the fleet are both absent at the time. He contacts some inhabitants of Constantinople, gets admitted to the city. The Latin Empire leg emperor sorry, legs it, and suddenly, after 57 years, the, the city of Constantinople is again in Byzantine hands. And um, the Emperor Michael, over in, who's over in Anatolia, gets a message and obviously hightails it over and much rejoicing happened. So that's, that's the sort of history of the part of the part of the history, sorry, covered by the Nicaean Byzantine list. And we sort of move on to the next list in line, which is the, the late Imperial Byzantine. So I don't know if uh, Ray and Richard have got any questions before I rattle through a bit of history on the late Imperial Byzantines. Well, uh, only that, so is that the end of the Nicaeans? Because Byzantine, because Constantinople has been, or Byzantium has been taken back, or does the dynasty die out? What, what happens? Sorry. No, I, I well, no, no it's, it's, it's a good question. Um, essentially, we stop calling them the Nicaean right. Empire and just call it the Byzantine Empire now. Because, they, because they, they've recaptured Byzantium. Yeah, it, 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 there is straight continuity, and Michael VIII becomes emperor in Constantinople as well. Brilliant. Okay. And, and in fact, his, his dynasty, the Paleologians, um, rule Byzantium pretty much until its fall to the Ottoman Turks. So, so yeah, as, as, as I mentioned, mentioned earlier, I was going to mention the, the, the army starts to change a bit at this point. So there's a couple of quick pointers on that. Um, because of the fall of the, the Latin states, there are now fewer Latin mercenaries around. So essentially the Latinicon part, the, the Western Knights disappear from the army, apart from a small remnant who remain in the, the empire on land grants um, and who became known as Cavallarioi. Uh, get my teeth around that one. Um, but they, they so, so there's some continuity there. And also the emperors from this point really have a policy of trying to reform a native Byzantine army to reduce dependence on foreigners, um, which has mixed success, I think it's fair to say. Um, so the constitution of the army changes somewhat, and we'll look at that when we come to the list, of course. So, um, you know, and the Byzantines still do have to call in mercenaries or allies for manpower. And um, as we will find out, and I'm sure people can guess what I'm on about, one of these cases backfires on the Byzantines in somewhat spectacular fashion. I think it's worth stressing that uh, the, the Frankish system or uh, the Latins and the feudal system was somewhat different from the Byzantine system. The Byzantines relied much more on paying their soldiers, and as a result, they had to tax 
their own peasants, uh, and particularly as we come into the later empire, that that tax burden starts to become unsustainable. Um, and when we come on to the Ottomans, I think it's worth pointing out the the Ottomans were actually quite popular in some ways with the peasant because they actually decided to tax the um, peasants less than the Byzantine tax their own subjects. So um, that that perhaps explains part of the success that the Ottomans were going to enjoy later on. Yeah, no, I think that's a excellent point, Richard. Yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, the, the Ottomans certainly do, from my somewhat limited understanding, prove remarkably popular. Then again, people who lower taxes usually are. I, I think the other thing that can't be sort of overstated is actually how crucial uh, Constantinople, Byzantium, as it was prior. Um, it's always confusing. It's the Byzantine Empire, but it was no longer called Byzantium. Um, was to the whole area because it controls the um, straits um, between Europe and Asia and all the trade that was going through it from uh, from Asia into Europe. It, it was absolutely um, the critical um, sort of centrum, the, the central point of the whole area. Um, and um it, it's it, tremendous fortifications were really pretty much invulnerable if you had sufficient troops to man them. Um, the problem increasingly becomes the fact that the walls are actually so long uh, and the armies are so small, it becomes very difficult to man the entire um, fortification on Constantinople and, and that ultimately probably leads to the um, collapse to the to the Turks, but obviously that's that's later on in the story. It's sounding more like Game of Thrones every minute. <laughs> yeah, as I said, I said it really it wasn't it wasn't a bad analogy. <laughs> a really complex period of history. Okay, right. So we were at the point where the the the, the Nicaeans have taken Constantinople and they're feeling good. And in 1262, the following year, the Emperor Michael organises a major expedition against Epiros. He's on a roll. He wants to. Um, wants to conquer them as well however before he can actually fight them they, they sue for peace uh, and he actually agrees to this and for the next decade there's peace between what we shall now call the byzantine emperor and the despotate of epiros um, he also then went on to try and reconquer southern greece uh, and he was helped in this by a large number of allied turks um, this wasn't terribly successful and, and embroiled the Byzantines in well over two decades of fighting in southern Greece in, of varying scales, um, with the Byzantines very slowly getting the upper hand. Um, 1262 was quite busy, thought they saw a Bulgarian invasion of Thrace, although this wasn't very successful, and they tried again in 1264, this time aided by the Mongols, um, and raided quite close to Constantinople, but again withdrew and didn't take the opportunity to try and conquer land. Um, despite the, the sort of successes, in the 1270s, um, a guy called John Ducas started to cause trouble in Thessaly, uh, which then managed to drag in the despotate of Epiros and also Charles of Anjou. Um, so, you know, we've got a, a French connection here. Um, and he actually sent some troops um, over into into Greece, uh, well, Albania as it happens. However, they were defeated in 1280 um, and subsequently 
1282, he was planning a massive naval assault on Constantinople, possibly to try and repeat what the Fourth Crusade had done. However, he was forestalled by the outbreak of the Sicilian Vespers and any ambitions he had to attack Constantinople died with that. Um, in that year, after the threat of Charles of Anjou went away, um, Michael, at Michael attacked uh, Macedonia in alliance with the Golden Horde Mongols. So, you know, we're seeing the Mongols becoming a factor to play here as well. However, he actually died before the campaign started, but it was undertaken by his successor, Andronicus II, but it actually achieved very little. So despite the help of the Mongols, didn't very much get anywhere. Andronicus then turned his attention to Anatolia, uh, first time in, 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 a, in a decade or so that the Byzantines had looked at Anatolia, really, because things had started to deteriorate right, rather badly. The uh, Turkish Beyliks, who were succeeding the uh, Seljuk Turks, really, are starting to get their act together and encroach on Byzantine ter territory. Um, initially, the, the campaigns were actually a success against the Turks and they'd driven back. But then Andronicus had made a series of uh, rather bad mistakes, foolish decisions, which backfired on him. In 1302, um, a load of Alans turned up on the borders and, you know, it could be there could have been as many 10,000 of them. And he, he tried to enrol them in the army to uh, for use in Anatolia against the Turks. Um, so they were led into Asia by the emperor's son, uh, but at which point they started to desert the army and start to loot and were, became a right pain. The remnants were then finished off by a Turkish army under one, a chap by the name of Osman, who descendants will become very famous because they are of course the Ottomans to whom Richard were just, was just referring. So yeah, this, at this time we start seeing the Ottomans appear in history properly. Then made a, you know, shortly after he made another poor decision with the hiring of another lot of mercenaries, and this is the infamous Catalan Grand Company, which a lot, a lot of us have heard of. They cost an absolute fortune, so Richard's point about taxing becomes quite important here. It was certainly more than the empire could afford. It's more than he was paying any other troops. Um, and despite, despite the amount of money he was trying to throw at them, he, they were never ever really under Byzantine control, even when they were fighting for them. When they, when they mustered in Constantinople, they were violent. They ended up fighting with the Genoese, who had a, a quarter in Constantinople. And they sort of rapidly shipped over to Anatolia to try and link up with the remains of the Alans who had been hired and then do you know go on a, go on and conquer turks in the name of the uh, byzantine empire uh, however when they get to anatolia they pick a fight with the alans and lots of the alans are killed which you know doesn't really uh, make make it a terribly good alliance between um, despite this the initial catalan campaigns were a resounding success you know they defeat the turks at every opportunity drive them back um, because of this in 1304 the catalans demand more money uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're doing so well, we need more money. Um, so another possibly foolish decision, but possibly one forced on him, Andronicus tries to pay them off with debased money, um, so with a, a much lower gold content than it would normally have, uh, which down, went down really badly with the Catalans. And to top it off, he then assassinated Roger de Flor, their leader. Um, yeah, as, as you might expect, this didn't turn out to be a good move. The Catalans promptly rise in revolt and trash every all the troops that are sent against them um, and just start plundering around the Byzantine Empire for a while. Um, Byzantines effectively can't do anything about them. They've got no troops who can defeat them um, and they can't raise enough money to pay them to go away. Um, eventually, the 
they get hired by somebody else, Walter of Brienne, who is a, the Duke of Athens. Obviously, he's a, a remaining Latin. Latin. However, after this, they the Catalans turn on him as well, defeat him and kill him, kill him at the Battle of Halmyros in 1311. So, you know, yet, and yet another victim of the Catalans, who then set up their own state in Athens, which lasted till 1388. Although part, along the way, they were also uh, excommunicated by the Pope. Uh, for a reason I can't remember, I just remember that they were excommunicated. Okay, we sort of reached a point now where I think you know, in the interest of brevity, I'm actually going to skim over the rest of the history of this late Imperial Byzantine list, partly because it's, it's a bit dismal. Um, it really is downhill all the way from now on. From 1321 to 1357, there was a long period of civil wars, which again live up to the Byzantine tag. And these absolutely wrecked any chance of the empire recovering following the, the debacle of the Catalan episode. In Anatolia, we start seeing the Ottoman Turks taking over possessions. They become the dominant Turks in Anatolia. And, and then they actually start moving into Europe. Um, from the 1350s and start conquering the Balkan Peninsula. It's a bit like the way the Nicaeans came over, actually, with interesting um, comparison. Um, and in 1377, it's quite a, a, an important date because the Ottomans made the city of Adrianople um, their European capital, which I believe is now known as Erdin. Um, at the same time, we start seeing in the West, the Serbs are encroaching as well and inquiring territory. You know, so by the date the Meg list, late Imperial Byzantine list ends, the Byzantine Empire had been reduced to Constantinople and its immediate hinterland and a rump Byzantine state existing in southern Greece, which is now known as the Despotate of the Moria. So as in we call it that. Um, I think in reality, both of them only survive uh, for the next hundred years or so because the Ottomans can't be bothered to get rid of them, really. Um, they're not really causing any threat. So it's, it's all it's all really a rather sad end. And, you know, and at the fall of Constantinople and a little while after. That, that is the end of the Roman Empire. It lasted a long time, but it's... Till 1453, given its dues, it lasted till 1453. Yeah, but the end was a bit sad, really. Anyway, that's a, that's a run-through of what is quite a complex period. That's great, Nick. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for doing that. Um, I, I just bow to you. Right, so that finishes the, the history section. And uh, what a great campaign that would make. Um, and what we're now going to do is obviously move over to um, the putting this into Meg and into the lists. And, you know, no better person than, than RJC, Richard Jeffrey Cook, to have with us to talk about that. And he's going to start with the Nikaean Byzantine and tell you a bit of the detail of what's happening with the list. So, RJC, over to you, buddy. Thank you, Ray. So... Uh, Nick has given us an excellent summary of the history. Um, the, the lists we're looking at are in the Francocratic set. Um, that's easy for you to say. I, I wish I could. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, the Greek for Kingdom of the Franks. So this is the period. And most of the armies uh, that Nick was talking about appear in that list set, um, including the Bulgars, um, uh, the Sardinus of Rum actually is in the yeah. Crusade set oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. earlier as well. But, um, but the, the Trebizond is in there, the Epirate Byzantine. Yeah. So you can have a good rumble around, can't you? Indeed. Take your pick of which of the successor Byzantine states. But we're looking at the Nicaean Byzantine, um, and it's a mix of um, cavalry, 
uh, and infantry troops. The uh, it's worth saying at this point that we're looking at the 2021 lists, uh, which are shortly to be released. Um, so there, there are some minor changes in the detail. Um, so I'll just run through the Nikkeian list and the troop types. So um, the mandatory cavalry starts off with the Latinicum. Um, so these were essentially Frankish mercenaries, um, sort of Western knight types, um, fully armoured, unarmoured horses, charging answer devastating charge so um quite solid troops um you've got the option of melee expert but they are only along with that uh we have the equivalent byzantine troops the stratitoi uh if my greek's any good and it probably isn't uh, formed loose like the latin cavalry but these ones are only protected they're not fully armed and they don't have the devastating charges characteristics, so not quite as punch. Um, the obvious advantage is they're substantially cheap. Uh, along with that, uh, we have the uh, Badariots, uh, who are the um, sort of Byzantine best cavalry, really. Um, so these ones, in one of the changes, they are now drilled. Um, they're sort of experience both short spears so then they're more capable of um mix sorry they are skilled but i apologize i'm thinking of the wrong troops so they are capable of sort I of i think they're also formed not drilled but i, I don't want to interrupt uh, i think they're drilled in the in the latest list so i think you might have a mm -hmm. earlier draft yeah they, we we did we did decide to make them drill their part of the small part of the army that was still effectively a standing army makes yeah. sense makes sense but not in my list that i'm talking the, the the core troops are are still quite effective the byzantines they're just not many of them um which is why you've only got naught to eight in the list really um and they're supported by the turk so these are more the turks themselves so um they're, they're average unprotected and only experienced bow, not as good as the, the Badarians. Um, you've got a up to four, so it's a very small tug, but you can have the Varangian Guard, um, drilled close infantry, uh, exceptional. Um, that might be being quite generous, but uh, they're fully armoured, two-handed cut and crush because they wouldn't be Varangian Guard if they weren't wielding two-handed axes, in my opinion. Um, so, um, yeah, you've got that for Angian Guard, haven't you? Um, along with that, we've got... Just, just with our Anglo-centric fantasies about what the Varangian Guard were. Yes, of course you've got to have them. Um, the, the, along with that, the, the bulk of the infantry were uh, a small number of uh, spearmen, Kontoratoi, I think is the Greek, um, and then along with that, a whole load of archers, and I'm not even going to attempt whatever they were called. Um, you can also throw in some Highland javelin men, so a small number of loose troops, uh, and you can have uh, more Scythican, which is the old classical word for um, Scythians. Um, so used anachronistically here, but referring to, to the Turks themselves, and throw in some... So that's essentially a fairly sort of plain army, I would suggest, but you've then got the choice of allies to go with it. You have Bulgarian allies, 
Can I just make a comment, um, uh, Richard, to give you a bit of a break? Um, one thing about it is very few compulsory... It, yes, but you don't have particularly large numbers of any of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it, it reflects the sort of shortage of numbers. Perhaps, yes, yes. Um, which is why I suppose the Allies make the army potentially that interesting. Um, and so running through the, the choice of allies you can have, you've got Bulgarian allies, so the second Bulgarian empire, not to be confused with the first Bulgarian empire <laughs> called the, in the sort of 7th, 8th century. Um, uh, and then you've, secondly, you've got the Cumans or Kipchaks, um, so they, they are standard sort of steppy horse archer types. You've got Turkish allies from the Sultans of Rum, and you've got Epirate Byzantine. Um, so um, pick your date. And um, so for my list, personally, I went for an Epirate Byzantine ally to uh, add to the mix. So I've gone for sort of small numbers of um, sort of each of the main troop types. You've got your guard, your Vidariots. Turkapulai, a tug of uh, Latinicon, uh, a unit of uh, Stratioti, and a, a unit of infantry archers, um, and a couple of units of skirmishing Scythicon. So, um, not huge numbers, but you've got some quite effective troops in terms of being able to use your skilled shooting because the Vadarits have skilled bow. And the Scythicon, the skirmishers have Cantabria. Um, so on a small frontage, able to throw out a quite a quite an effective bit of shooting. Along with that, I've got the Epirate ally. So you have some of the cavalry, but also the allied um, Albanian cavalry that uh, was available to the Epirates. So they're, they're quite interesting because they're form-flexible, um, a short spear skill javelin and unprotected, but I've given them melee expert ancient charge. Wow. Uh, so, so they they're going to be quite a pain to enemy skirmishers because yeah. being able to catch them um, and yeah, they, they they throw an interesting problem for opponent uh, along with some uh, uh, um, archers as well. So the army ends up with uh, eleven. Tugs and two sugs, so um, respectable in terms of the number of units, but they're all pretty small. They're all sixes or fours. Um, so what you don't want to do is be facing a sort of massed larger numbers. Um, you've got to you've got to sort of pick your point and use your better shooting ability on a narrow front, uh, backed up with some troops that can then break through hopefully the weak enemy. In terms of command, uh, I've gone for the talented ally. Um, for the list, I think we may be sharing. Uh, it's a talented professional, but um, just to be warned with the 2021 list, um, the general's uh, costs are being adjusted. In the army builder. The, 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 in the, in the, the army builder and the talented uh, ally um will be a little bit more expensive but you've got you're essentially your professional generals so you've got quite a bit of um, command flexibility um i possibly um probably wouldn't float the cnc with this army 
I'd probably just use his ability to share a card where I needed to. Uh, I've added a competent and mediocre professional sub-general. So, um, yeah, you, you've got a, a, a fair degree of flex. From Richard, did, did you put the talented uh, professional as the army commander to get that extra PBS and extra scouting? Uh it, it does. Um, I, I've actually just had a look today at um, with the new general's costs, and I'm not sure I can afford the talented professional. Right. But no, but, but, but when you were building this list with what you had in front of you, was it to yeah, get I mean, an extra PBS? It gives you nine PBS and six, six scouts. So, um, yeah, that, that, I mean, that's pretty good for most periods, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. The six scouting especially is, is yeah. very, very chunky. And, and with your plan about picking, you know, picking your points and all that. So I, I've got one question for you, all right? And um, I think you'll know what the question is going to be because of me and my aggressive, right? So you're talking about shooting and shooting and then hitting something. What are you going to hit with? Well, you've got the the, the Latinicon. Um, so they're the charging lance and devastating charges. Um, the, the, you've got to, it's not a big punch army so you've got to weaken your opponent first yeah. it's 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 an army that's going to take a bit of finesse um well, that's me out then <laughs> um i i think because if you if you judge it wrong you're either going to get your skirmishes caught yeah. um or else you're going to bounce and find that your punch um is hitting something that's too strong for you yeah, I, I must admit, look, looking at it for myself, I don't see an awful lot of use for the Varangians. I think I'd have had another unit of Latinicon instead yeah. of them. I, You'd have I, to find some points somewhere, but yeah, he's, I mean, he's, he's in love with Varangian Guard because of the, you know, because they they did graffiti that you can still see in Rome or something. I don't know. In, in Hagia Sophia. I, I, I've, you'll see I've downgraded my Vangarangians to superior. Um, I, I think as a unit of just four, um, they're more there actually probably to support the archers. Because yeah. you can fool your opponent into thinking the archers are an easy target and then hit them with the Varangians. Um, yeah, yeah. It may yeah. it may work. I don't know. Mm. But, but yeah. it wouldn't be a... It wouldn't be a presenter. Who in Belgium will be so glad that you've got Varangian Guard with two-handed cut and crush? <laughs> a little bit obsessed. Yeah, I mean, I, I must admit, I, I can throw that bit of romanticism out because I've used the Nike and Byzantine a couple of years ago at campaign. And, yeah, no, I, I just never even considered them. <laughs> so maybe I was being more... More hard I think what I like about this army, the way that uh, just set it up, is it is a bit of a Swiss army knife, isn't it? You've got a. So I think it can do different things. Um, but when you said what your plan was, my only worry was where's that? Where's that final coup de gras coming from? Don't know. I'm, I'm no, I, 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 my personal feeling would be the same as yours on that, Ray. Big pardon? My my personal feeling would be the same as yours on that, which is why I another reason I'd probably swap the Varangians for another unit of um, Latinicon. I'm slightly worried the Latinicon don't have melee expertise. I know it's extra cost, but they're the ones, when you do throw some punch in, they're, they're your best ones. I, I can feel a challenge from Richard to me coming on. Go on then, we'll have a go and I'll, <laughs> I'll completely destroy you, right? I'm like, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, should we move on to my version? Is that okay? Yeah, go on. Um, 
So, so I'm going to apologise to our listener um, and to Richard, who does all this research for the lists, because I have completely gamified my list. This is an absolute out-and-out attempt to build something for playing in tour. Okay? So that's my apology. Apology noted. Okay, so I've got that, obviously, the Cambyzan time, and I've gone for the Sultanate of Rum ally. Um, my uh, command structure is competent professional, talented professional, talented professional, mediocre professional. Gives me lots of cards, lots of tricksy things for holding cards, and um, I like that. And I end up with my army and, and the, the generals giving me a PBS of eight and scouting of five. I think that's enough. Uh, I, of course, I'd want nine and six, but I think that's enough. Um, and um, so going through the army, um, I've got three tugs uh, of um, Latinico. And, you know, these are pretty powerful knights. You know, they're f- are average, fully armoured, charging lancer, devastating charges, melee experts. So if when they get in, I want them to finish the job. And I've gone for a six, a six and a four of those. Um, it's the most you can have. It's the most you can have, exactly. So I, 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 there's a bit of a min-max going on in my army, by the way. So I've maxed out on those. And then I believe possibly the best troops I've ever found in Meg. <laughs> and they are the I can't even say it. They're so Vidariots. The Vidariots. Okay, guys, listeners, listen to this. Cavalry formed flexible, so you know what they can do. Superior, protected, skilled bow. I, I'm in love. I'm in love, and I and, maxed and, out on those. So I've got. And as, as Richard said in the 2021 list, they should be drilled flexible. Yes. Okay. I, I can only work with. What I yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm just saying for the listener. Yeah, yeah. So they get even better. They get even better. If maybe it's very marginal. So two, two fours of those. Um, then I've gone for one, two, three, four, five tugs of uh, the army, the archers that come with the army. Okay, <laughs> and I believe I've downgraded them. So they're drilled, loose, poor, unprotected, unskilled bow, combat shy, coming in at twenty-two points per, per base and they are there for one reason and one reason only well actually multiple reasons but but then the primary reason to do that is to get my break points up to seven okay then my ally, I, I, I can actually feel the disapproval over the airwaves from richard on this army i can actually feel it Rick. are you shaking your head in shame what someone has done to your list i don't i don't have a real problem with it i mean i, I <laughs> Byzantine army, which is some Frankish mercenaries, a, a small corps of decent cav- Byzantine cavalry, and a whole load of Dross. cheap peasants that yeah. have been obviously dragged up from the worst level you could find. <laughs> yeah, um, but, but the fact is, they're drilled, which we will come back to in a minute. Okay, so then I have my my ally, and um, you know, Sultanate of Rum, I think, sounds fantastic. You're thinking beaches. Now, these are hardcore, all right? So they're, they're cavalry. So I've got three tugs. The first two tugs are cavalry, form flexible, average, unprotected, skilled bow. The second, another one of those, and that's a six. Another six of skilled bow, and then a, a six of experienced bow. So in this army, I've got, uh, oh, and then I've got a, a, a sug of Scythicon. Uh, the cavalry skirmisher, average, unprotected, unskilled bow, combat shy, and they're there to do a job. 
they're not there to shoot particularly they're just there to slow people down so um so what am i trying to do with this army um well, i'm assuming you're, you're sort of doing what richard said you know you've got yeah your, um, you've got I'm, your skilled I'm, shooters yeah. to sh pave the way yeah. and then the latinicon go yeah. in and kill things yeah and and i you know there's many counters to that but i think with the with the pbs and the scouting and the command and control, I think you can shoot, 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 and then smash. You know, that's the plan. And the archers being in there, the, the foot archers to bolster the army up to seven uh, tugs to break, just means you can be more direct, I believe. So that's one thing. Now, the funny thing about the archers is they're drilled. So I've just got this image of my head. I put them on the table. And then they go backwards into some terrain when somebody takes the bait. I really hate <laughs> to burst your bubble. Because you can go backwards so easily. It's just hilarious. I'm so afraid I'm going to burst. the bait that goes backwards into terrain. It's a fantasy. It's a fantasy. You've but you got know, to you burst know. your bubble here, Ray. Unfortunately, oh. with the 2021 list changes, they've become formed. Ah, oh, formed. Well, even formed, I'm not that worried. As long as they're not tribal. You know, but yeah, <laughs> you burst my bubble, but I can, as I say, I can only work with what I, what I had in front of me. Yeah. So I, I've gone for a very, very gamey list. Um, I know Nick shares my excitement about the skilled bow because, you know, I copied the Turkoman uh, tribesman ally from Sultanate of Rum from him. Uh, so you've got a lot of skilled bow. I think he has a list where you have even more skilled bow. But I just think I think that's a fabulous list, and you know what? Now you've told me there's been so many changes. I'm I don't have to stick with my what I was going to say. I was going to say I'd take this to an open competition, but now you told me there's loads of changes. I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do it, Richard. Sorry, but I think it's a great list. I, re I really do. And you know, even just you know, it's so versatile. It's so versatile, so quick. I think it could cause people a lot of trouble. That's it. That's me. I I wouldn't take as much junk. As much chaff. Yeah, I, I yeah, no, I, I, think I, 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 for my taste, you've gone too far in that. I <laughs> well, I, I said I started by saying I'm going to gamify. It's going to be yeah, new yeah. Chaff. No, I, if you're going to do it. You've got to do it. I, I'd want more things that can can live close to the enemy. Right. You know, you, 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 your skiffy can't have gone down to unskilled bow. I like them with Cantabrian. Uh, I like having two of them. The list I, I used. At like Richard, you got your t what you can have. You have your two Vidariots with the two Skithic with two Skithicon. Yes, you know uh, they can pull them around as a group uh, or meander off with one Vidariot and one Skithion. Skithicon, you know, you've basically got an eight base frontage that can be shooting as skilled um, to which you add your your Turkomans as well. I think you by going for that all that rubbish archers. Um, You've given up a bit in your actual important shooting. Yeah. But by, by the way, I don't, I, don't, I don't think going down to form kills those archers. No, they, no they, they're not quite as nimble as drilled, but they, yeah. they, you know, they still double move on not a red. But I have <laughs> and, got and a big, wheel and double move. <laughs> I mean, you have to, you have to, you know, you have to make um, decisions. And I, I've got a big yeah. strike force. I've got something that can hit you very I, hard. I can see why you've gone for it. I, I just think I would trade down. To a break of six. I'm not a patient man like you. <laughs> yeah, so you know, I'm... you see, I would I would be picking on those Latinicon with my skilled shoot, um, and uh, and sort of my better foot can probably cause your Turkomans a bit more problems. 
possibly. So that that's that's the way I would be looking at your army. Um, yeah, I, we weren't like, thinking about this as a civil war, were we? No, I, we I'm were. thinking about building a list that I would take to a tournament. But um, and I mean, the thing I would try and ensure is I don't get distracted by thinking your arch too easy a target. Yeah. Although they look very tempting, <laughs> you can get suckered into going after them and then uh, not paying attention to the strikers. I mean, that is, you know, you have, see, you're clever enough not to, to, to see through my very basic plan. <laughs> but that is, that is the way <laughs> that people aren't that clever. Though, well, anyway, I think it would be a bloody fun army to use. There you go. How about that? Right, uh, yeah, well, it, it is. I mean, so I've used an, I used an Ikea in a campaign a couple of years ago. I had a blast, um, although it was mainly fighting Serbian. Um, <laughs> in that I fought three of them. But yeah, I think it's a great... I, I would take an Ikea to an open competition. Wow. Okay, there's a challenge. We've got to see how it turns out fully in the 21. But I think for our listener, we should move on now. Um, so we are moving on to the later... The late imperial Byzantine. So literally picks up when um, uh, from where we've left here at 1261, and Nick is going to talk about his army first. Oh, sorry, yeah, I, I, thought, I thought Richard might be introducing the, uh, the ah, list Richard. PDF, and, and yes. then I will most happily talk about my army. Richard, you've got to do some more work. No, the, the late imperial Byzantine. So uh, as, as Nick covered in the history, um, by this period... Um, the, the number of Latins is diminishing. So the um, cavalry uh, are, the cavalori are the, that's the Greek word for cavalry, as you might guess. Um, they're, they're, again, there's still a small core of very good cavalry available to the Byzantine. Um, but uh, it's, so you've, now they're, they're looking more like um, the, the Latins. So these are drilled loose, superior uh, fully armoured on unprotected horses, charging through melee expert. Um, so the Byzantine equivalent of medieval guess you've got. Um, if you take the army up to 1272, you've still got some Vardariots. Um, and, and we've then got uh, the um, sort of remnants of the Byzantine Stratioitoi cavalry and the Turkopuloi. You can have those up to 1380. Uh, the Varangians are really on their last gasp. They um, disappear from the history after 12 I was going to say, you only have two of them or something. <laughs> well, then, yeah, you, you, the list gives you a, a tug of four. Um, again, it's it's fairly generous. We, we allow them to be exceptional. Um, they're drilled, obviously, and fully armoured, the two-hand crush. Um, but you're, you're never going to have a big number. Um You've, in terms of foot, you've got some uh, guard troops. Uh, these are Zacones. I think that's the Greek pronunciation. Um, they were, I they thought were that was a gym that you had as a starter at a Greek restaurant. Yeah, um, very tasty, I believe, yes. <laughs> um, we've, we've sort of classified them as sort of a bit of uh, sort of... Um, uh, well, they're drill flexible, superior, protected, short spear, melee expert. I think Very nice. That can do some damage. Uh, they, yeah. They're good. Again, small number up to six. Good quality. Um, perhaps more suited, suited perhaps to fighting in cities than they were as open field troops. Um, uh, they're supported by spearmen and the archers. 
um, you get some uh, more tartory. And I have to confess, um, the, these are drilled loose and skilled archers. Uh, they're a bit of a mystery to me. This isn't really my strong period, so I couldn't tell you the origin of those. Um, and then you can have a whole bunch of militia, poor protected shorts, so, um, and good old tribal to 36. And then you get some skirmishing horse archers and skirmish foot uh, And you get an even greater selection the late in time. This is because by this time, the main skill of the Byzantine diplomacy, um, playing off one empire against another, or hiring whatever band of troops was roving around uh, the Balkans or Anatolia at the time. So you've got um, Turkmen Beylik allies. These are the small states, Turkmen states that get established in Anatolia. You get the Mongols. Um, you get the Alans. Um, we described how that can go badly wrong for you. Uh, you get Bulgarians. Um, still got the second Bulgarian Empire up until I think it's the Crusade of Nicopolis that ends up um, uh, 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 being this sort of end of the um, uh, Second Bulgarian Empire, and then if some somebody's taken away the list, so I can't. So, so, sorry, I I I just <laughs> I, 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 I hit my mouse. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the the last couple of Serbs. So you can have Serbian allies. Uh, so that gives you a good medieval night punch. And then you've got the Ottomans. Um, surprisingly, the... No Catalan company. Uh, no, the... Um, I don't think you could ever claim that the Byzantine actually fought alongside the Catalans. <laughs> no, no, the, the, uh, the Catalans were... Against. Um, they, there are times they were supposed to be on the same side. <laughs> Maybe you can have them, but they, they're they're unreliable or whatever the equivalent in megas or whatever. Well, I, I, I think they just automatically join your opponent. Yes. Or possibly take on both of you. Yeah, I think I think that's weird. Yes. yes they, they'd be required to fight both sides at the same time and win. Yeah, I think it's yeah no no they they yeah no they were a complete liability. So um, yeah, that's that's our late imperial present and. Um, yeah, well, I mean, critically, you could argue maybe we've been a bit generous with the quality of some of it. Um, it, it allows you again to a small uh, amount of good quality respect, a lot of value and the intricate thinking. Yeah, I think it, it, there's nothing wrong with being a bit generous from time to time. It, 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 it means we have a very wide variety of, of usable lists. Agreed. You know, I think, um, you know, just harking, harking back to a previous existence, I think certainly back in the days of fog, we were a bit literal and, and, and could have given some benefits to the doubt. Uh, but I think that's been taken on board with the meg lists and it's an overall improvement for the game. Okay. Anyway, Ray, you want me to do my version of yeah, this you list? Go, don't you? you go. Okay. Well, I've, I've gone for a version that includes a golden horde Mongol ally. Taking one of the one of the allies, um, partly driven because I've got some Mongol figures I've painted up during the pandemic, but also because I think it's quite good. I have basically gone for a machine gun approach on this arm. So you know, the the ally who comes with a talented professional ally general, the inevitable talented. Richard's already warned us about points on that one. We've got a six of superior protected short spear skilled bow 
drilled loose, a six of formed flexible average <coughs> unprotected short spear skill bow, a four of the same, and then four nomadic cavalry form flexible average unprotected experience bow. So we've got, we've got six, the ally has 16 bases of skilled bowmen. The Byzantine part of the army includes the maximum six cavalario you're allowed, the superior fully armored charging lancers, melee expert. Um, okay, you don't get dev charger with those, but you can't have everything. So they're, they're a bit of punch. A couple of fours of the Stratiote Byzantine cavalry, charging lancer, melee expert. The Mortatoi infantry that Richard was just talking about, the drilled loose, average protected, skilled bow. Eight of those. So cracking on another eight bases of skilled shooters in there. A unit of Byzantine archers, which have been downgraded to poor, they're unprotected, formed loose, experienced bow combat shy. Um, so, you know, they're they're a bit of filler, but if anybody gets close, at least they're still shooting with experienced bow. And a six of the Turkapuloi, form flexible, average, unprotected, short spear, experienced bow. So that's 10 tugs. Come back to the 10 in a minute. Um, two tugs of horse archers, um, average, unprotected, experienced bow for one of them, Cantabrian combat shy. Um, list only allows you to have half of your horse archers with Cantabrian. So, and I need to save some points. So the, sec the second lot, uh, and this is where I spot where I've made a mistake and I've classified them as infantry, not cavalry. So this list is illegal. So there you are. Proof Ray can laugh at me for pointing out his illegal list last week. Last podcast, I've made a mistake this time. So I'd need to change that because you, uh, there should be cavalry skirmishes, average, unprotected, unskilled, bow, combat, shy. So I'm probably about 100 points over. Oh, well, such is life. Um, a list checker would pull, pull me up on that. Um, command and control, I've got a competent professional army commander, a competent professional subby, and a mediocre professional subby. Um, obviously, as I mentioned, the ally is a talented professional. So this army is all about the shooting. Going to get as much of that skilled shooting in on the opponents. Um, well, I have to say it's terrifying. So it's supported by a bit of experienced shooting. Um, you know, the the and the skilled infantry shooters. Um, it's got punch in the Cavalaroi and the two Stratiotoi. The Cavalaroi are a fairly direct punch, being superior charging lancer. The fours of the Stratiotoi, you'd be looking to, to push them in more into more, the more damaged areas, obviously flank if you can get it, because they're only fours, but they've still got a reasonable punch being charging lancer. And they've got melee experts so they can hang around a bit. Um, they're not that great, but you know you're gonna the the Mongols and the Mortartoi and the one unit of horse archers with Cantabrian are going to do the heavy lifting, mm. and you're going to use the nomadic cavalry who are uh, experienced bow and the Turkapuloi who are also experienced bow mounted flexibles as possibly the unit you're going to get hoping to get people to charge at with your skilled shooters step back a bit so they don't have to run away and can skirmish and don't drop dice when they're doing it. Uh, Army comes in with a PBS of eight and a scouting of five and scouting five is pretty good. Not quite as good as Richard's one earlier, which had six, but yeah, five is pretty healthy. So that was my take on this army. Well, I, first I'm going to say with you playing it because of, you know, how you like to play war game, I'm terrified. <laughs> It's just like, wow. I mean, you know, there's some interesting decisions about, you know, 10, 10 tugs, you know, why not 11? 
Yeah, if you are absolutely desperate for 11, you, you can find the points if you absolutely need it to, but I wouldn't. And there is, there is a trick you can do with 10. Um, if you've got 10 tugs on table and an ambush marker, people are so hardwired to seeing odd numbers of tugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, may think, they may think that your, um, your ambush marker, which has got nothing, is real. Yeah, we talked about that, haven't we, in the past? Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Everyone's hardwired. Oh, we wouldn't have 10. You've got to have 11. So the ambush is true. Mm. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm picking it. I'm, I'm really just picking at the edges here because it, it, I think, I, I don't know what, uh, what RJC is going to say, but I, 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 this is formidable. But, you know, wh why have two of the fours of Stratotoya tie or whatever they're called? The, you know, why not drop one of them and, and have another cheap? Yes, you have to have eight in the army, I think. Oh, you have to have eight in the army, it's a minimum. Yeah, well, mate, uh, it's it's very yeah. different to my list, I can assure we you. Can, we can check. Yes, it's a minimum of eight, Stratoy. Okay. All right. Um, it's, it's obviously a, the list compiler being vicious. You've got to have two tugs. Yeah. Well, no, I've got, given the... Yeah, no, I think it's reasonable. <laughs> I wouldn't argue it being eight over six, Richard. It adds, adds a difference from a lot of other lists which quite often would have a six, as I'm saying. What, one of my concerns about it is that the Mortatoi could get a bit isolated. Yeah, yeah. But sort of knowing that perhaps you could police them with a Stratioite or Cavalaroi, depending where you get. Or it could just tempt somebody in to try and charge them down because they're drilled yeah. loose, and then the skilled bow clobber them on the way in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think, if anything, nice bait that you regret, your opponent regrets going for. It, it could do. I, mean, I, 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 I remember, was it the London GT where I tried to have a go at some average skilled shooters of yours, Richard, in your Timurid? You did, yes. And that didn't work out well for me. <laughs> no, you, the, the problem is you, going for skilled shooters, you have to be very committed. Yes. Yeah. And that sucks in a lot of resource that you want elsewhere. I mean, cards. If you're charging, you've got to have an extra card waiting for the push through. Yeah, and... yeah you can't. You can't divert those cards to anything no. else you've got no. to be confident you've got enough to push through and succeed um and that, but if that's you get in, if you get into that breaks his line then I, I can see why nick would be concerned yeah I, I i i would be less concerned about that i think it, it's a good solid army you look where's the weakness spot one? Um, uh, the weakness for a player coming to it um would be the same as a lot of horse archer armies you need to practice with horse archer armies to get the, to get them running you know i i've pretty much used horse archer armies since i started meg um in fact i, I believe i used them the very first one we played ray yeah um, and there was some hard learning along the way but 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 i'll tell you what you've got enough cards to dance you 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 because it's you, you'll, you'll dance and you'll get out of the way and you'll set the traps and it's horrible. I, I would hate to play again. Great army, Nick. What I like to hear. But, 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 you know, it's not, it's not an army for the inexperienced. But there again, if you want to learn how to use horse archer armies, you've got to start using them. So exactly. you've got to start getting your experience. Yeah. Go and take your lumps. Great list. Sorry? You've got to go and take your lumps. Yeah. Do you want your list up now? Go on then, buddy. Okay. So Ray's drivel. Um, now, so I, I, again, I'm going to apologise. Uh, what I wanted to do when I looked at the list was use an ally which I love, which is the Serbian Empire. And I thought, can I design the perfect Serbian delivery mechanism? So that's all this is. 
Um, yes. Sorry, I've, I've put up your Pacto one, haven't I? Have you put up my Pacto one? Yeah, I got. Very... So that that'll confuse you. Yeah, that will really confuse. Let, let's... Luckily, luckily, I have my list up on my computer as well. All right. Um, it's more so Richard can see the dribble. Yeah. Um, so in, in time honoured fashion, so I've got my command and control is I've got a competent professional, a talented instinctive ally general, uh, a talented professional subby and a mediocre professional subby. Um, and that brings me out uh, with PBS of seven and scouting of four, which is not too shoddy. Um, and then moving through the army. So I have gone and uh, can we just talk about this? I've tried to get the best Serbian ally possible. So running down. So I've got um, and they're, they're printable, aren't they, in that first tug? So I don't know why I just haven't said they were six. I, I amended it in the copy okay. that's going so, up on so the I've got uh, a tug website. of six best Vlastella. So these are cavalry, form loose, superior, fully armoured, charging lancers, devastating charlers, melee experts. Uh, you know. Full uh, fat. Full fat. And then I've got, um, I've got a, a tug of six where I have. The front rank is cavalry, form loose, average, fully armoured, charging lancer, devastating charlers, melee expert. And the rear rank is form loose, average, protected, charging lancer. Okay. And then another tug, um, the same again. So uh, cavalry, form loose, average, fully armoured, charging lancers, devastating charges, melee expert in the front rank, and then protected in the rear rank. So I, I think that is a, if you are, if you're trying to design a, a Serb sledgehammer ally, I think that's the best you can do. Um, and then the the rest of it, the, the delivery mechanism, um, is uh, cavalry to hold off your enemy, to skirmish with them and um, hit them and Then as you're preparing to hit them. So I've got... Um, oh, I have to have archers with my Serbs, so I'm not being very... Uh, Systematic on this, so my I've got archers, infantry, tribal loose, four unprotected, unskilled bows. So I've downgraded the them to be as cheap as chips, um, but they have to. You have to take them as part of the ally. Actually, Ray, you don't. I don't. There's a list note that says your ally doesn't have to take archers, but if you do, you have to conform. So who's the muppet now? Me. Well, we're, we're both muppets this week, mate. Yeah. So okay, so if they're in the arm, if you have the army, you have to take them as a minimum. But if you take them as an ally, you don't have to take them. Yeah, that means that means I have to read the notes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually a really good point from a list checker's point of view. Please read the notes, people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's often, there's quite often, there's a little something in there, and it could help you. Yeah, well, it would have done. Okay, so then I've got um, two sixes of the. I've even spelt them wrong. The Stratatori toy tie, cavalry <laughs> drilled loose, average protected, charging lance, and melee expert. But they're in sixes, two sixes. Uh, no, I've got two sixes out of four. So, you know, they are, they're, they're there to um, usher the main strike force. They're not even the main strike force. Um, and then I've got, um, I can't believe you're making me say all these words. I've got the Zatskones, the Greeks, let's say, starter. <laughs> drilled, flexible, superior protected, short spear, melee expert. Um, quite useful, especially with being flexible. Um, hold that piece of terrain that you just need to hold people up on as you, the big thump goes in. And then I've got archers downgraded. I've got militia downgraded. I've got one, two, three, four, five uh, tugs of foot dross. A theme is emerging with my lists tonight. <laughs> and they're there 
for the time-honoured fashion to uh, bump up my tugs and break. Um, and I can hide them. There you go. I'm confident enough I can hide them. I'll either spread them out everywhere or... Uh, anyway, shouldn't be talking about tactics yet, should I? Should we just be focusing on my list? And then I've got horse archers, um, two uh, sugs, uh, and then I've got one's experienced bow, one's unskilled bow. They're not actually there to do much shooting. They're there to stop people, double march, you know, pushing. They can push me, but not on the second move. So just to be a, just to be a pain. And if I lose them, I lose them. I don't really care because I'm just buying a little bit of time for the hammer to fall. So that's my dross. I've tried to develop, I've tried to develop a list, which is the ultimate Serb uh, delivery mechanism. And it breaks on seven. So I can lose the whole, I can lose the... All the I can lose all the Serb knights and the Stratotoritai type ones, and I still haven't broken the army. I, I don't know. That's the idea. Hit you hard. Shock silence. Okay, I'm going to say I don't think I don't think the Serbs are tough enough. Ooh. Well, actually, no. One of the units is. Yeah. yeah. They're full fat. They're great. The other ones, they're not they're not rubbish or anything like that. Don't, don't get me wrong, but. You're going to be putting a lot of reliance on them punching through, and any time they lose a front rank figure, they they're they're quite seriously downgraded. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I just feel that you're possibly putting a bit too much emphasis on the Serb. Either that, or actually, I don't I don't know numbers in the Serb list, but actually, you know, as I say, you don't need the archers, so you're freeing up a slot if you like in the in the command. See if you can get yet another unit of last stellar in, and don't worry so much about your seven tug point break point. Although I suspect, looking at that, you probably it's been pretty difficult to do that. I'll have a go. It, oh, I'd, I'd look at it. Breaking on four. <laughs> oh, and I wouldn't go down that far. No, <laughs> Not no. for this army, but you know, it's. Um... But I, I, I really, I wanted something to compare and contrast. And oh, absolutely. I, I, I see where you're coming from. You know, I, I just think to have that big punch through, you're going to be committing one of the Stratioti up front as well. Yeah. To get four. Yeah. And it could go through something. Yeah. I'd just put, be a bit, talented, a bit worried it wouldn't. <laughs> put the talented instinctive general in with the, with the super... I mean, really, you know, it, it, it's like everything. If you can find the right thing to hit, you can hit it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think the concern I get is that you've got to get the right terrain. Uh you get one bit of disruptive terrain in the wrong place so that your either your punch becomes a sort of it's got to go here and a one shot pony yeah makes it too obvious where it's going to go yeah or or you you've got that there's going to be a uh, an area of the battlefield where you've really got nothing to defend that terrain with i mean the the you're not, you can't use your militia You've got my You've, Zach Kones. You've got one unit of Zach Kones, but it's only a six. I mean, superior short spear melee expert. Aren't we back to the point that Sid made in the last podcast? One unit of terrain troops isn't enough. If somebody's going to go for terrain, they will swamp you. I didn't say it was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's got the advantage it's superior, but it is only six. It's a good troop type, though, isn't it? It's a damn good troop type. If there were more of them, I'd have included them. <laughs> it was the six that I put think, me off. I think that could hold people up anyway. But no, but look, I, I think saying the, the, the piece of terrain in the centre of the board that you can't get rid of, uh, yes, I agree. 
Yeah. I agree. Well, you, I think it's a very, very good point of Richard. I mean, if I was, for instance, to t take your late imperial on with my late, I'd, I'd do what I tried to do against the Serbs at campaign two years ago and, and scatter lots of rough ground around. Yeah. And yeah. it really does canalise the, um, the Serbs because you're, you're every, all the cavalry on both sides is slowed down, but it defangs the Serbs and the shooting's still as good. Yeah. You know, yeah. especially if you want to send some of those, the, the non-superior of La Stella into some rough to go tangle with, with, with some skilled shooters. You're not going to do that, are you? No. Well, not for very long. <laughs> <laughs> but so, no, it's, it's a, it's a one-trick Serbian pony. It is. On the other hand, you know, it, it will have its day. Almost every army does. Um, it would be fun. And, be and fun if, you, if you get those bless, best Blastella in the right place, as you said, and chuck yeah. the general in yeah. and risk him. But, you know, if you, you're picking your point, you're picking your time, and you don't commit him until you need to. You know, that, that, that a six or four fat knight types can cause an awful mess. Now, I wouldn't take this one to an open competition. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it's less less standard. Right. Okay, guys. So we'll we'll we'll. I think we've done the lists, haven't we? Yes, and, uh, I think so. I think that in the in the, in the notes that, that Nick puts together so well, you have at least got a couple of good lists. None of them developed by me. Um, so uh, we'll pause now, and then we'll come back with the rest of the podcast. Right. Okay. So what we've done is we've looked at the the history. The Game of Thrones history of this period, and we've looked at uh, four different lists um, for two different uh, PDFs. And um, what we're now going to do is is actually possibly the most challenging thing because we're going to look at the certainly the figures, the figure manufacturing, and how you might do these lists. And then obviously mention some books which should not be missed. One I even bought. Um, so. Um, so Nick and, and Richard, my, my challenge on this was um, because of the makeup of the army, you know, they are by definition, they're, they're, you know, bits and pieces. And then we put in allies as well. I was struggling to say there is a coherent manufacturer that I could run those lists from buy the figures, paint them up in the painting style that I like to do, which is, you know, the, the contrast paints. Would you say that's a fair comment that it's a, to find someone to, to do a coherent cohesive army? Definitely. <laughs> it's yeah. um right that's the end of, that's the end of the podcast <laughs> i was going to say i think this is one where you're really going to have to work yeah like looking yeah. for the, the models and then figuring out which range match um to to pull together a, a coherent army as you say I, I i think there are figures out there but it's very much uh do your research and um plan out the week. I mean, from my point of view, the, the allies are easy in all the in, in all the lists. Agreed, the allies are easy. I'm not saying mixing them in, but you know there are there's lots of choice there. The uh, any any the Latin knights, the Western knights, easy. You know mid mid 12th century. You know kitted out like that. Sorry, mid 13th. Mid 13th. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can go 12th century if you really want. Uh, but no, I mean I I, I don't have any um, great ideas. But Nick, I know that you tried to dig into this a little bit. Yeah, I mean, um, one of the classic Wargamers go-tos go is Essex, Essex Miniatures, and they have a, a range whose code is EMED, EMED. Uh, it certainly includes some later Byzantines. Uh, they do Knights of the Period. I can't remember. I don't think it's in the EMED range, but the equivalent Western. They do uh, mid-13th century Knights. Um, 
were they do Serbs definitely, don't they? Yeah, well, again, throughout that EMED range, they've got um, Eastern armored chaps as well yeah. who, who would do for the Vlastella. Um, it's, but I totally agree with Richard. It's, it, I think it's one where you just need to put a little bit of time in doing some research first about what you're looking for in style and then what can be mixed and matched, you know, um, for the podcast notes to go on the website, we've got some suggestions. Essex is there for one. Um, Donington have some. Legio Heroica do some beautiful nights for the period um, um, and, and other manufacturers as well. Um, I even found one 28 mil uh, Magister Militum do some late Byzantine Crusader and Saracen ranges that have some suitable figures, but I really ran up against a brick wall in my knowledge of 28 mil on that. So, <laughs> you know, um, anybody reading the notes might want to make some suggestions of their own. But Nick, even when you did your Vidariots, didn't you basically take a different figure and then change it? Yeah, I mean, actually, one thing I would say, I'd ex you could probably look at earlier Byzantine ranges, like the Nikephorian. Quite a lot of people do Nikephorian Byzantine ranges, and some suitable figures could probably be found in there, because the shield shape continues from that period for quite a right. while as well. It, right. There are some changes right at the end, but the the sort of armament teardrop style carries on. I mean, yeah, my, the, the figures I've got for the Dariops are basically uh, Nikephorian Byzantine armoured horse archers. Right. To which I've, I've, I can't remember if I added shields or they came with them. Painted something that looked vaguely Byzantine on them. Nice. But it's, it's definitely one of these, have a dig around, be a bit imaginative, find out which whose range is matched with whose for size and, and, and go and, you know, and, and work it you out. Know, I can't that. just go to Forged in Battle and order them. Damn. <laughs> this could be the one, though, sorry, to, just to keep going. This could be the one where, you know, Essex, with their vast range, could be the saviour here, couldn't it? To get the cohesive models and, you know, we don't want 15mm, 13mm and 18mm. We don't want big, fat, chunky ones and skinny ones. To get that cohesive look, it might be an Essex Miniatures. They are by far your best bet, I think, for, for doing that. For the, uh, the nearest you'll get to a one-stop shop. But yeah. you will have to go through a number of their ranges, but they are very consistent in size. <laughs> so, yeah. Richard, anything, anything to add about basing? <laughs> um, you've got your classic limestone, fairly dry in the summer, sandy sort of bases, I would have <laughs> vegetation. I don't think in-jokes work on podcasts, so I'm going to have to tell you. So Richard has a reputation for buying his figures painted on eBay and then basing them beautifully, so, that, so the overall effect is very cohesive and very good. But that, that was that joke. Um, now, moving on to the books. Um, I bought the late Byzantine Army Arms and Society 1204 to 1453, and I did read some of the pages. But you also complained it had no pictures. It only had two pictures in the whole book. Yeah. Um, that, that book, that book it, I, I relied very heavily on it for the history bit I did earlier. It's the nearest we've got to a one-stop shop. Um, it's by a chap called Mark Bartusis. Um, we obviously put up a link up to the inevitable Amazon for it. Um, that covers you the history from 1204 to the end. It's got quite a lot in there about the army. Uh, and the various troop types in it. I can't remember if it ad answers Richard's question on the bowmen in the late imperial Byzantine list, but it's, if any book's going to, it's going to be that one. Um, uh, about that book, I'll tell you something. I thought the way it's written, the style is quite journalistic, which I enjoy because it keeps going, but the structure of the book annoyed, 
annoyed me with the way it split up everything. I just found that a bit, you know, you really got to work hard, you know what I mean, to get the detail that you want. Um, it, it's it's textbook. Yeah. Um, it, but but I, I found the, the writing easy to follow personally, but, but I, I do see you. Um, just to sort of say on, on, you know, it was a bit of a joke about there's no pictures, but obviously Wargamers love pictures, inspiration. And there are, there is a, a Byzantine Armies AD 1118 to 1461 by Ian Heath. It's an Osprey. It's a bit old now, but I think the stuff in it's still pretty valid. So yeah, you can get some colour pictures there. That's the one. And Ian Heath wrote a couple of WRG books as well, The Armies and Enemies of the Crusades and The Arms of the Middle Ages, uh, which have the black and white, just the, pen, the line drawings in that some people will be familiar with. Both of those partly cover the period we've been covering. And I think the, la the last thing I'd say on pictures is um, don't forget Google Images. If you go on Google Images and, and, and search for sort of late Byzantines or something, it'll, as well as throwing up pictures that have been scanned out of the Osprey books, because Google always does. Um, it can throw up stuff from Byzantine manuscripts, illustrated manuscripts that were written in the period. So they'll they'll show you what the Byzantines wanted you to think their army looked like as well. Right. So, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd always, it's, it's worthwhile spending a bit of time there if you want to. And obviously back to the figures, because we're saying you need to do a bit of research. Google Images is free. Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd say the um, WRG book, particularly um, Eastern Armies of the Middle Ages, still have that a good, good. So, you, go on. I was about to say, and you, you, if you found something, you could always always ask the, the hive mind on the forum. Somebody somewhere will have an answer, or an idea at least. True. Right, so um, we, we finished our fireside chat, the three of us. Um, we, the next section, Nick makes another appearance, talking to all the tournament organisers in the UK. But we, we say goodbye to Richard for, for, for till the next episode. So, Richard, thank you very much. What, a, what another great... Uh, contribution um can we tease the, our listener with what we might do next i think we've got an idea haven't we can we tease we've got an idea silence are we are we going eastern next time perhaps? there was a suggestion it might get a bit chinesey chinesey okay good so uh, crispy chili beef please <laughs> i don't um, yeah. i can't remember if richard was in on that or was that ah, something we... okay. this is completely new to me <laughs> <laughs> Um, as well, always, guys, the, the publishing team will get together to decide what the next one is. So, uh, but anyway, so that ends that section. And as I said, we're moving on now to uh, a group of tournament organisers who are going to take us through the exciting things that are happening between now and the end of the year. Okay, we've got some great guests uh, on this section of the podcast um, because we have the people who actually run the tournament. That are going to be on for the rest of this year and that's really important so what we're going to do is go through uh in date order the tournaments and uh well there's only one hammy and hammy is first out the blocks because he is going to be running an event on the 17th and 18th of july at battlefield hobbies which is his game store um so hammy over to you buddy right so first out of the blocks um Battlefield Hobbies in the middle of the country, decent gaming space, pl plenty of room. If we get enough people to fill it completely, Ray will eat his hat on, on the next podcast. Um, in order to make it nice and easy for everybody, we were thinking about one day, thinking about two days. We've decided we're going to go for a two-day event. It's going to be armies from 500 BCE to 500 AD. Um, initial draw I'll do on dates. Um, be five games, three on Saturday, two on Sunday. 
Nice. Um, local hotels, I've been checking with them for another event that we're looking at running around that kind of time. They're all offering cancelable rooms. Um, the place, place called Weedon, which is just down the road from Daventry, that's got two nice, decent, cheap hotels, pubs, and a good curry restaurant. Um, good cool. place, to, good place to stay. Um, just off the M M1. Um, if you don't know where Daventry is, it's roundabout level with Watford Gap Services. Um, easily accessible from everywhere. Um, loads of parking. It's, it's on street, but lots and lots of it. Um, the streets will be quiet at that time of uh, the day and the week. Um, the building is a insulated building, which means it should keep reasonably cool if it's a hot day, or relatively warm if it's a if it's a cold day. Um, lots of, lots of space. Store alongside it. Um, we stock all sorts of board games, board games, war games, etc. Um, and um, yeah, lunch lunch will be provided, um, assuming I can get the local um, caterers back online again by then. Um, I'm hoping that they'll be jumping at the opportunity. Um, I look forward to seeing lots and lots of people there. So just a couple of things then. So ticket price, what are we thinking on the ticket price? Um, if we're including lunch, it will be £25 a head for okay. two £25 a head for two days. If we had to cancel because it's July for some reason, if we had to cancel, it will be full refund to the any players and the hotels is offering the same. So really risk-free. Um, we're also, um, we've got, a, if the tournament goes ahead, which it will, we've got a good price pot as well, haven't we, Hammy? Yep, nice price pot available from uh, Ray and the, and, uh, the Meg, Meg Powers that be, I believe. Yep. Um, yeah, there'll be book. I'll put tickets up for bookings in the next day or two, um, which might well be before the podcast actually goes out. Yeah, and all, all the details will be on the podcast notes. So brilliant. Thanks, Hammy, and thanks for getting the, the tournament scene back on. So 500 BCE to 500 AD, uh, yeah. 10,000 points. Yeah, 10,000 yeah. points. Great. Okay, brilliant. And then after that, uh, in August, August 21st and 22nd, um, we have, <laughs> are you off now, Harry? Harry, see you soon. I've got other things to do. Okay. We oh. have um, Warriors of the Cross and Crescent up at Elephant Games in Stockport. And I'm delighted to say, all the way from Stockport, we have Pete Ensel here. who's Not actually from Stockport, but from Waltonville, Preston. Can't understand what you're saying. Sorry, can't understand. Waltonville, Preston, not Stockport, where I'm from. <laughs> Even further north, Ray. Yeah. Can we, yeah, so, this is yeah, an English so, podcast. Yeah, Warriors of the Cross and Crescent, uh, Saturday the 21st, Sunday the 22nd of August. Uh, 10k points as usual. Uh, we're holding it at uh, Element Games, which is a, a great venue. Uh, directly opposite, we have uh, the Premier Inn, so cheap rooms. Uh, the, the event itself... Uh, we've got a maximum of 30 places and we've sold out, sold 23 up to the present. Uh, we are providing lunch both days, which will just be a, a light lunch subway with uh, crisp. Uh, the, the actual venue does have a, a good bar, which is great for hot drinks, cold drinks and, and the odd beer if you're so willing to partake. And uh, I think a few of the I members... Think that they've already laying down the hopping hair. In, 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 in I was box. going to recommend the hopping hair. That's yeah. uh, one of our favourites. Uh, the, the basic armies, we're going uh, from 10,000... Uh, sorry, yeah, 1,000 uh, AD to 1149 AD. Uh, and uh, basically, it's uh, armies around the Mediterranean area, 
plus a few sort of northern European ones. A great choice of armies uh, and uh, hope that, uh, you know, we can uh, fill the venue. And we'll have a we'll have a link to the competition details, tournament details on the, on the show notes. And um, but what you know what I want to say about going to Stockport or to you know further north with Pete in one of his tournaments is it's a blast. It's a blast. It's just fun. We go out. We you know have a curry. We drink loads of beer. It's I've got to say this is for a southerner. It's as cheap as chips. And um, we just have a great time. And it, it also, sorry to interrupt. It, you know, also has, it. it also has amazing rail links as well. Yeah, I'm going to say that. Will, there, yeah, so yeah. You, you can book ahead reasonably cheap rail tickets and, you know, you can get up very easily. Yeah. And every train that goes to Manchester has to stop at Stockport. It's a law. So easy to get to. <laughs> Nothing. The hotels. There again, Robin. Nothing to do with the armed guards stopping you. So, so that's that's cross and cross and crescent at Element Games. Um, right, right. Just this one thing, because the, yeah, yeah. the hotel closest by is a Premier Inn. Their rooms are cancellable as well. Yes, and so, it's Premier so Inn, Stockport South. Stockport South is the yes, one. Yeah. And they do a great breakfast. They do a great breakfast, and uh, they have a bar, and there's good curry. Well, before COVID, there were good curry houses around. It's a good laugh. And uh, the our, our hosts, the northern players, are the friendliest bunch ever. So a great tournament, um, and probably my favourite venue, to be honest. Um, although I'll probably say that about Deventio as well. So there you go. Um, so then, in on September the twenty fifth and twenty sixth, we have the Meg World Championship. So this is nick help me here this is in north london basically um it's north london it's just outside the north circular uh, which for any drivers means it's outside of any congestion charging or pollution charging zones um and if anybody's worried about what the mayor is planning to introduce in addition to the current ones they will also stop at the north circular and not include it so if you hear anything about that being a problem, it isn't. It's a little place called Pickett's Lock, um, roughly, um, Edmonton. Um, it's basically on a, a, a nice straight road that runs straight down from the M25 to the North Circular. Dead easy to get to. Free parking again. Yeah, that's a as the London GT. Just if people look for the Meg World Championships, they might not find it. So it's actually under the heading of London GT. Very good point. L- London Grant Tournament, the London GT, which is hosting a lot of wargaming, a lot of 40K type games, other historical games. Um, Meg is being run, it's the Meg World Championships being run as one of the games in the venue. It's actually the, an Olympic Stadium, isn't it? It was part, of the, it was part of the infrastructure. Yes. That's, that's good for us athletes. Um, now the there's a running track, so you'll be fine at lunchtime, Ray. <laughs> uh, this uh, so there's um, I might have the runs. Um, it's um, it's uh, it's easy to get to uh, from public transport if you want to fly in from anywhere. Um, it's easy to get to, and the hotels around there. Let's stress this, Robin. You've been there, and the hotels are reasonably priced. Yeah, they're very accessible and reasonably priced. There's a lot of Premier Inns, travel lodges, right, and obviously posher ones if you prefer. But uh, they're all fairly close. I think they, I think we were about a five minute drive away. 
Good. And the price of a ticket, does anyone know that off the top of their head? I think it was 30 quid. Okay, so it's 30 quid for the Meg World Championships. And typically at this event, we get people from three or four European countries and we get people coming over from the US. Obviously this year, you know, you don't know, but there's going to be a lot of us and, you know, almost all the Brits will, will, yeah, will go it, to it. It's also um, all three, all two sets of um, the Meg as well. So you've got um, Simon Hall will be walking the line, so he says, offering advice. And um, I think there possibly might be a demonstration game or two going on there as well. And on the Friday night, they're putting on a whole series of um, events, sort of pick up and play as well. OK, so there's a lot going on. So it's good value and it'll be a big event and you get the chance of being the world champion. Yeah, world champion. And right. just, on, just on that, Ray, it's Maximus, 10K points. Any army list from any of the mega books allowed, and, it, and it's five five games over the weekend: three Saturday, two Sunday. Can I just interrupt to correct you on that price? It's forty pound a ticket. Oh, was it? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I think it's just gone up. Sure, I only paid thirty, but there you go. Yeah, no, the early bookers was a reduced price, like twenty nineteen. Um, yeah, and another thing is, as far as we know, there are no limits on number of players. It's a massive venue, so. So this is a big thing. You're, you're, you're guaranteed to get a ticket, but if we book early, we'll get more tickets allocated. Okay. Right, moving on then. So the following month, October, we have uh, October 30th and 31st, we have a tournament called Deventio, which is in Derby. And we have Will, who has been organising these Derby events now for, for years. And I think it was my first event, this one, or... It was no, your first event, yes. Very first event was going to Derby. So, uh, Will, over to you, buddy. Um, I run this one at Boards and Swords Hobbies, which is run by the amazing Ian Mann and Rob Crickwell Evans, and they are just two of the nicest blokes around. It's a smaller event. It hosts between about 18 and 24, and it will again be 10,000 points any army from the classical section of the Meg rules. Um, it will be, it's normally a four round event. It's 30 quid with lunch thrown in. Lunch is usually either pizza or sandwiches. Um, the, the store itself has loads of free parking and is incredibly well stocked considering they've only been going a few years and they're only a two-man outfit. Um, it's just a great fun venue and it's just, it's close to Premier Inns. It's readily accessible from the M1 and M6 corridors and, and also Derby International Airport or Robin Hood Airport as it's known. And it's just generally a, a great blast. Um, the draw tends to be done geographically to start with. So you, you tend to play your geographic neighbours. So if you bring Sassanids and someone else has brought a Persian army, chances are you'll be playing them first. And then we move on to a more open Swiss chess. And one of the things that we've always prided ourselves with the event is we always welcome guys who've never played before. And we like to make sure that they get a good couple of first games against the friendly players who are going to make their games fun and enjoyable, especially in, in a competition event where... You know, we don't want, Meg is not a nasty competition set. People have a lot of fun and people want to join in. And that's what we want to do. We want to bring more people in. I agree. Well said. And I, I would add to that because um, I probably have a slightly different perspective to Will, because when, I, when I'm when i there, you don't tend to stay, do you, Will? You, you travel back. Um, but 
a lot of us here stay and the, the hotel where we stay is a really nice hotel that's really uh, competitively priced with breakfast included and it is 200 yards from the venue so that's the first thing so we've we've got a hotel on our doorstep across the across the probably don't want a chance running across the road but anyway 200 yards from the venue. and then in the evening we, we there's a curry house in derby which is legendary and I think we've been there every year and it's just fantastic. So good social side, um, beers to be had and very, very, another friendly event. So, uh, yeah. The nearest hotel is the one Ray's on about is the Travel Lodge Derby Cricket Ground. It's right is. next to the cricket ground. Therefore, you can a bedroom the overlooking the cricket ground. Indeed, I had that. There was no games on. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, again, and the hotel itself has got masses of parking, obviously. Big hotel right next to the cricket ground. Um, and and it, if you come to the tournament, you get to take the piss out of Ray about Snowgate, but we won't tell you any more about that until you come to the um, So uh, then uh, the next one, they're coming, you know, every month. So now November 27th and 28th. Is oh, sorry. Um, can oh, we just well, go back to the dates on Deventio? It's the 31st of December, 1st of November. So it's the 31st of October. October even. And the right. 1st of November. That will be in the show notes. So I got I got the date slightly wrong. That means the dates are wrong on the Facebook page, uh, Robin. Yeah. So, um, the wrong dates. Yeah, moving on. Uh, so, Warfare. 27th of November and the 28th of November. And for many of us uh, who go to these events, Warfare is absolutely, um, you know, one of those... Uh, what? It's it's a dream event, really. It's a dream it? event because you have uh, you have bring them by. You have a, a really nice compact um, uh, trade show, and then you have loads of wargaming going on. Now, the problems in the past have been uh, have been about space. You, you don't feel cramped when you're there, but they only have so much space. This year, the the the, the location, and then I'll hand over to Nick. The location's changed, so it's actually at Ascot race course and i believe it will be for the next few years um and uh so nick nick do you want to carry on about warfare because robin's yep. telling me i've got a message or something. sure yeah as ray said it's at ascot war uh, ascot race course um now um so one big advantage of that is lots of parking and it's free um also it means that space available for the show and the wargaming has increased so um we're getting more uh, available participation than previously. Um, the competition for Meg this year is Rise and Fall of the Chariot. So it's a what we tend to call biblical. Um, so its lists are from the earliest books in Meg. That's the Sumer and Akkad, Egypt and Hatti, Assyria, <coughs> excuse me, Assyria and Babylon, and the Mandate of Heaven one covering the early Chinese armies. They've got lots of chariots in them. So there's one slight twist on this one. We, we also say that allies must be drawn from these list sets as well, which isn't necessarily the case at other competitions, but that's there to ensure that we keep the theme. Because if we, if we opened it up, some of the later lists um, could have um, allies that would really distract from the, the biblical name. So it, it's a uh, usual 10,000 points, four games over the course of the weekend. Um, usually try and allow one of the lunch hours to be of a reasonable length to allow you to go shopping at the show. Well worth going shopping, even if it's just to look at what you're going to buy next time. Um, 
currently we have 30 tickets available of which are only three left as we speak wow wow, wow, wow. however however as mentioned earlier big venue lots of space um, they've already upped our allocation from 20 to that 30 because of demand so if you want to go to warfare and there aren't any tickets available drop drop the war game <clears throat> association of reading a line the website which we will obviously be linking to um, in the notes for this podcast will have has a an email address to contact them too and i know some people who've contacted them about this event um, for various reasons have had prompt and efficient answers back Nice, brilliant. So, so this is a chance to get, yeah, this is the one where you get to use those really early armies, get the, get the chariots out, donkey carts, big Assyrian chariots, um, Egyptian. I had chariots last year that weren't even drawn by a horse. So there you are, yeah, yeah the, the very early Akkadian ones are drawn by what is basically a vicious donkey. An ass. My, my ass was all so over. Your ass was in the breeze again, it's, yes. Yeah. It's def <laughs> definitely, a, definitely a chance to see armies that aren't appearing at it. Any other time in the year, because people tend to keep their bibles. They're always beautiful. There are some absolutely a, stunning armies, and there's a lot of people really looking forward to this one as well. There's a lot of background chatter saying, "Oh, which army shall I use? Which one? Which, you know, where can I use my chariots?" So people are really looking forward to getting biblical, man. <laughs> yep. Getting okay. Yeah, it's so a, a great tournament, and we're confident that. If more people uh, want to go, we will get the space and we'll get the ticket. Um, so that's brilliant news. Um, all right, well, that, that, that's this year. Um, I will just, one little shout out, and we'll, we'll do more about what's going on in, in, in Europe uh, in another podcast. But just to so early in January, there is the individual uh, championships in Brussels. I, I can't say any more than just go to Brussels. Sure. Right? Yeah, that's a must. It's a must. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Uh, and, you know, uh, uh, we'll, we'll start doing sponsored runs we'll, and we're going to Brussels. <laughs> right. Um, now, very important person I want to introduce you to now, which who is Robin, because he really is the spider at the, at the centre of this web. So, Robin, tell all these good people listening to us how they can get all the information day and date when it comes out to us so they have a chance to make sure they're coming to these events. Okay, right. Well, basically, first of all, what I've done, um, you've got a list created, which is um, the date of each competition, where it is, what it is, how many points are involved. Um, and when I'm supplied with the um, booking information, I put that all together um, in a basically um, a date order list. Um, and I will mail it out to everybody each month. Um, I have about 150 people on the mailing list at the moment obviously all of which have supplied me their email addresses. Um, the list that I send out can be found on the MEG forum um, in the UK events guide. Um, there's also a copy of it on Facebook, on the uh, MEG Facebook page. It's actually pinned at the top. In the Morton Hitlorium um, War, War Games page on that's Facebook. The that's the yeah. one. So there is a, a copy of it there. And what I do is I ask people to inform me of i.e. any changes to competitions, which happen occasionally, um, booking information or new competitions that come online. And I basically slot them in as and when they appear. So um, occasionally, obviously, you get a competition where we need a few more players because maybe it's um, not quite as many as we'd like. 
um, and obviously I'll, I'll mail out again trying to encourage more people to actually attend. Um, so yeah, that's basically it. So I just call it the UK um, Events Guide and it gets mailed out each month. So anybody that's not on it and wants to be on it, um, you can PM me um, on Messenger, go to Facebook or go on to the, um, the Meg Forum. Just let me know and I'll, uh, I'll add them. And before I go, one thing, I'm sorry, on DaVentio, Will, uh, you were talking about the date. I have to double check. It is actually so over the 30th and 31st. 30th and 31st, yeah. I think November the 1st was mentioned, but that's actually, it's actually yeah. the 30th and 30th. So I have Thank actually you, mailed one out this month. Um, so probably the next couple of days, when Hammy confirms his booking details for Battle in July, um, I'll send out some, another list on the mailing list. Okay, so so sorry to interrupt, but moving on with big competitions from the you know from when COVID's over in the UK, July, August, September, October, November, and interweaved in there, there will be some smaller, more local things going on, which again, Robin will be able to communicate to you. Yeah. I think the ones that come to mind straight away is um, I think down in in, in Pool in Dorset, uh, we're, we're trying to get something done at uh, Entoyment. Um, and um, I've got an event going on uh, in June, and then I'll probably do one, one later in the summer. Um, they, they tend, these are more local events, but you know, maybe yeah, have. I think it's easiest. People. People. We've got we've got these main events every month now, and now it should be relatively simple for people that wish to, to to slot in the odd one or two day events. Try and keep them as far apart as possible. Um, so as as Ray was saying, we've, we'll Sid probably rather than myself who's keen on late medieval, will be um, arranging for a one-day tournament in, in Toyments. Um, and also there's a, um, a, a show next February in Bournemouth um, called Beachhead. Um, and subject to what other events are around at the time, um, I think it's on about the 12th of February, um, we'll be arranging a, um, a one-day um, event down there. I believe it's going to be um, something like the Punic, and that'll be Jersey James organising that. So... Um, once we know next year when the main events are going to be, we can then slot the um, slot the smaller one-day events in, um, give, give everyone as much notice as possible. Brilliant. And in the notes to this podcast and all over the Facebook pages, uh, and Nick, we can get this on the on Simon's uh, Mortimer Glorium page as well. Uh, we're going to lather you up, guys, with all the information you need to get involved, and we'd love to see you and come and have some fun with us. So thanks to all the contributors this evening. Uh, it's been a blast. And Pleasure. see you all soon. See you all soon at a tournament near you. See yeah, you guys. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much. Cheers.